Hey everybody, it's Sam with West Virginia Overtime. And a couple weeks ago, um, many of you were brought to our site on us putting up different tweets and different comments and different articles that were started at the Woodrow Wilson Greenbrier East girls basketball game. I happen to be following Tyler Jackson, who is a reporter for the uh, Registral Herald, and he happened to be at the game that night. He started off um, his tweets, I believe it was February uh, 12th, saying that chaos had kind of erupted at this game. And... I stayed up till, I don't know, it was probably 1 or 2 in the morning, giving out updates not only on West Virginia Overtime's Twitter page, but also on West Virginia Overtime's Facebook page. And I said that we would continue the coverage. So, as articles came out, we posted those, uh, And then in my last podcast, I said, hey, we probably should talk about this. What I wanted to do, though, is kind of let everything simmer down, kind of find out what exactly went down from different sides, and really just to talk to people in the basketball community about what had happened, what they feel, and where basketball has came. And I'm going to be real honest with you. The reason why I've been putting off this podcast is because I'm not sure that we've came very far. Um, let's recap kind of the story as it goes. Like I said, around February the 12th, there had been previous a previous confrontation when they had played before February 12th. It is the understanding of pretty much everyone involved that there was, they believe he is a dad, but a fan of Greenbrier East that had caused some problems with some of the comments that he had yelled at the first game. During the second game, which was February 12th. It is my understanding that this same fan, the same Greenbrier East fan or dad, was yelling some of the same comments and even some even more, uh, let's say, racial comments towards the Woodrow Wilson bench, the Beckley bench. And a scuffle happened behind the Woodrow Wilson bench. This led to Beckley's coach, Coach Brian 
neighbors, which is their head coach, to take his team off the court. He stated to the WSSAC that he was a little nervous and afraid for his team since that scuffle had happened and he wanted to remove them from the situation. From what Tyler Jackson reported, the referees held them in their locker room and tried to basically get the disturbance and the crowd settled down for about 15 to 20 minutes. During this time, Governor Justice, who is our West Virginia governor, but he is also the head coach of the girls basketball team at Greenbrier East, went to them and asked for a forfeit. He stated that Woodrow Wilson's team had left the court playing area, had left their bench, and therefore they were forfeiting the game. Like I said, when the referees talked to him, um, Coach Brian Neighbor stated that he, he was nervous and scared for his team's safety. The referees felt like they could not get this game back under control and suspended it. Which then threw it basically into the WVSSAC Rules and Regulations Committee up in Parkersburg for them to make decisions. However, after that ruling was made and the referees told both coaches that they were giving it to the SSAC and that any film that they had needed to be turned over and FedEx to the SSAC and that they would also have to need to get statements from the S or to the SSAC. Tyler Jackson of the Register Herald spoke to Governor Justice that night. He recorded his conversation. If any of you would like to hear that conversation, it is up on West Virginia Overtime. You just need to go back to uh, February 12th. Uh, Tyler Jackson tweeted that audio out and we got his permission to put it up on West Virginia Overtime. In that, Governor Justice, also Coach Justice, who is the head coach of Greenbrier East girls basketball team, he gave the following statement, and I quote, I hate to say it any other way. But, honest to God's truth, is the same thing happened over at Woodrow two different times. Out of the Woodrow players. They're a bunch of thugs. The whole team left the bench. 
the coaches in a fight. They walked off the floor. They called the game. On that following Wednesday, the governor then released another statement and said, My definition of thug is clear. It means violence, bullying, and disorderly conduct. Now, the assistant executive director, Greg Reed, of the WVSSAC, made a statement and stated that five players from Woodrow Wilson's team had been suspended for two games. And he made a point to say that the reason why they were suspended was because they left the plane area and the bench area. There was film given to the SSAC that these five players were identified to have went behind the bench near where the scuffle was. And it is wrote very clearly in the basketball rules that no player at no time may leave the bench area or the playing area. He stated that, that this was a, a very black and white issue that if you leave, then you're suspended. If, if you stay, then you're not. So since they left the bench area and the playing area, then they are automatically suspended. It is my understanding that Wood Wilson chose not to appeal this decision because they didn't have any grounds. There was film of these five players leaving that area. It is also my understanding that the SSAC is continuing their investigation. This was just their preliminary findings and it is also my understanding that they are still going to rule on this. They then followed up with the West Virginia State Police and they stated that a summons, or I should say summons as in plural, were issued for Dante neighbors for disorderly conduct and instructing an officer, and that Stephen Damon was issued a summons for disorderly contact or conduct, conduct and assistant coach Gene Neighbors for obstructing an officer. Now, when I look up the definition of thug, it is basically what Governor Justice said it is. Um, it's a violent person, and on, on most of the definitions, it says it's a violent person, especially a criminal. Governor Justice said that it means violence, that it means bullying, it means 
disorderly conduct. Is this true? Is this really what thug means? And I think I've been thinking about this for two weeks. Because I knew that I wanted to do a podcast on it. I knew that I wanted, since we had covered it, that I, that I also wanted to cover it in the podcast. And the thing is, is I'm a little older. And I remember back in, you know, the 70s, 80s, 90s, I can remember being a, a young, I mean young, child in 1979. Um, you know, I was about five years old. I remember it, I think, more because I got into basketball just a couple years later. And in the 80s, it was always talked about. And because I grew up in that, um, and I started playing basketball during the 80s, I think that's when there was a change. I don't remember seeing the 1979 college basketball championship game of Michigan State versus Indiana State, the Magic Johnson versus Larry Bird game live. I don't even know if it was played live. I have since seen it numerous times on ESPN Classic. Um, It was also shown several times in the 80s on uh, ESPN Rewind. Um, One of my dad's favorite players was Larry Bird. And he wanted him to be an idol of mine, which he became. I, you know, I'll fully admit that. And I think the reason why my dad chose him was because most of you who know me, or most of you have heard me, can probably guess. I'm not very athletically talented. And my dad saw that in Larry Bird and saw that he could read the floor. He practiced his shot constantly. And he could make passes happen before the cut was even made by seeing the floor or defensively helping his teammates out by reading what the offensive player was going to do. So as my dad coached me in midget league and helped me through middle school and high school, that was something that he really um, preached to me. Of course, the other player that was coming up at the time 
was Magic Johnson. My dad had the ultimate respect for Magic Johnson. Um, he saw not only how athletically gifted he was, but how smart he was. And how Magic could take on different roles at different times in a game. I think the most unbelievable game that my dad ever pointed out to me was when Kareem Abdul-Jabbar got hurt and Magic Johnson actually as a rookie played center for the Lakers and throughout the years like I said my dad pointed out how smart Magic Johnson was with his basketball IQ and how his passing was just unbelievable and how he could drive gaps at just the right times that would create angles. However, at this time, the NBA was taking a different shape for lack of a better word the NBA up until you know the 70s had been a mostly white league and there were a lot of African American or black players coming into the league and in the 80s it almost became a Lakers team that was called Showtime um, had a lot of black players. They had a white player, uh, Kurt Rambis, that was just absolutely went above and beyond his skill set. But I remember the Lakers, you know, Magic Johnson, Byron Scott, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, James Worthy, I'm the, Michael Cooper, um, A.C. Green. That team was get it up and down the floor, uh, showtime, it was dunks, it was... You know, awesome defense. Michael Cooper should probably go down as one of the best uh, defenders, not only of that generation, but he's probably in the top ten, even still to this day. But the Boston Celtics, who were their rival, who, who went up against them several times, were almost a white team. Even though they had DJ, um, they had Robert Parrish, but they were mostly known for Danny Ainge and Larry Bird and Kevin Kell and Bill Walton and and different players, Scott Skiles, um, and the media in the '80s didn't care to push it that way. And grab ratings and it be the white Boston Celtics against the black LA Lakers. And they even kind of even pushed 
Boston being a racist city. And I I remember that. And I'm so thankful that my dad especially, but the people around me did not push that on me. And pointed out that both teams had their faults, but both teams also had their greatness. And, you know, it was always pointed out to me the different moves Kevin McHale made. But then it was always pointed out to me by my midget league coaches, Jerry McClenahan and, and, and Mike Jabot and Larry Westfall and all of them, the moves that James Worthy made. And so, like I said, I am so thankful for that. But I do remember... The 80s, you know, especially 85, 86, um, basically coming to where I heard the term thug used, not in the definition that Governor Justice used it, not as, you know, violence, not as in bullying, not as in disorderly conduct uh, because the group of thugs that came up next was the Detroit Pistons and you know you had all of these great games between the Boston Celtics and the, the LA Lakers but then it changed and like I said the Detroit Pistons then started kind of slowly building their team of of Dennis Rodman and Joe Dumars and Isaiah Thomas and Bill Lambeer, who was white. But they were were called this this group of thugs, and they weren't violent. They weren't criminals. Um, yeah, they probably had some disorderly conduct. They had some hard fouls. They had a rule where you're not getting layups on us. When you go up for a layup, we're going to foul you. And we're going to foul you hard. And when you come into this lane, we are going to foul you hard enough that you're going to think again whether or not you want to go for that layup. And of course, this is the same time period of 84 to 86, 84 to 88, 89, of the Georgetown Hoyas being called thugs. Again, not fitting Governor Justice's definition of bullying, of disorderly conduct. Um, it's also when I first heard the term street ball come in um, of rolling a ball out 
just picking it up with no plays, shooting it up, trying to get rebounds, and just playing street ball. And it didn't take long with me being in midget league and in middle school to figure out these were derogatory terms. They weren't by the definition of Webster's. They weren't by Governor Justice's definition. People meant this in a derogatory way. Um, you know, and when I hear basketball coaches use it in that way, it's usually in a derogatory manner. We had the 80s of the Chicago Bulls, where people didn't call them thugs. People didn't call them streetball. They had one of the most organized systems with Phil Jackson using Tex Williams' um, triangle offense around, you know. So they couldn't call them that. But it's something that I've grown up with. And living in, you know, South Central, um, I don't live in extreme Southern West Virginia, but in South Central part of West Virginia, I've always known that when someone refers to a basketball team as thugs or thug-like or street ball that they do mean it in a derogatory term in a derogatory manner it's not something that they're praising somebody for and so as soon as Tyler Jackson reported that as soon as I heard the audio I thought Oh, no. Our governor did not say that. And I thought, I, I, I talked to a lot of people, um, and I thought, we are going to be on the national news. Oh, my goodness. And then, like I said, Governor Justice came out a couple days later with his statement where he thought it meant bullying and disorderly conduct and because they had left the bench and they had did this and did that then they fit that term I guess a lot of people kind of believe that I mean that's the only conclusion that I can come to is that Nationwide, they believed that. They um, thought the, that the governor was correct because it wasn't made into a big, huge deal. However, here in West Virginia, it kind of was, especially to the Beckley Woodrow Wilson students who went out of their way to make Beckley Thug shirts. And I was a little disappointed in that. And I'm just going to be real honest. I I hate that the coaches, uh, the adults in the situation, the school administration, I hate that they let them, uh, whoever it was, 
uh, make those shirts. I hate it that whoever those shirts felt the need to capitalize on that and gain money from that. Um, I hate that the administration allowed anyone into the game to wear those shirts. Um, those shirts shouldn't be a sense of pride. Um, I understand that the governor was rude and disrespectful. But that doesn't mean that you wear that term proudly. Because like I said, the definition of that, the real definition, when you look it up, is a criminal, is a violent person. And so I don't think an administration should allow them to wear those shirts. Um, I don't think we should condone this behavior. If you take it the way it's meant in West Virginia, especially in Southern West Virginia, as a derogatory term for a black person, um, I don't know that the administration should allow them to wear those shirts because it's a derogatory term. So, I guess I was a little disappointed that, you know, a few days later, you started seeing them putting out Woodrow Wilson thug shirts and then the Beckley thug shirts. And, I, like I said, I'm sure that somebody in the community was taking advantage of the situation and, and probably raised a lot of money on that. Now, whether they donated it to the school or it was for profit, I, I have no idea. I don't even care. I I just wish that the administration would not allow them to wear them to school or to any school functions such as games. Now, on February 28th, um, Woodrow Wilson had to take Greenbrier East on in the Class AAA Region 3 Sectional 2 title game. And I loved how both administrations came together and stated we're not having any problems with this game. They were on hand uh, they had people on hand to control the situation. Um, when the student section started chanting different things at each other, whether it be derogatory things or just uh, things that may get another one riled up, they immediately put a stop to it. And that was very impressive. And, like I said, on February 28th, Woodrow Wilson, um, Beckley, beat Greenbrier Reese 78-55. And everybody said, oh, this is over. No. No, no, no. It's, it's not. Because Beckley will be hosting George Washington on Tuesday. Uh, George Washington will be traveling down to Beckley. And Greenbrier East will be traveling to South Charleston on Tuesday. Both teams continue their season 
because of the double elimination factor. If both teams win, they can be going to the States, where they could match up again. So, I think that this is a situation that is going to continue. They still have to compete against each other, you know, in boys basketball. They still have to compete against each other in baseball and and softball and track and, you know, next year in sports. And I really think that we, as players and coaches and parents and community members, I think we need to sit down and actually think about this and are we going to allow this situation to continue not between these two schools but between any schools should any school be able to call another group of players thugs should you know we be using that terminology in 2020 should we even be putting those thoughts into players heads and i think the answer is no i understand that a lot of us coaches and parents and members of the community grew up in the same era I did and watched, you know, the 80s and the 90s. And like I said, you know, them putting the Lakers versus the Celtics with the uh, Detroit Pistons coming onto the scene and um, being called thugs and, and basically enjoying that. Just because... We went through it in our childhood, and we have those memories. Doesn't necessarily make it okay for players of today or kids that are learning in Midget League Basketball today to agree with that and to go through that. I, I hope that as West Virginians... That we can really sit down and think about this and kind of band together and say we're not going to teach this to our future generations. We're not going to let them become involved in this. The time is way past letting the word thug be used in a derogatory manner by anyone. And so I know it's taken me a couple weeks to get this podcast out because like I said, I've been thinking about it. But this is kind of how I feel. You guys, let me know how you feel. Sit down, listen to this podcast, and write me at wvovertime at gmail.com. Come over, join our Facebook on WV Overtime. Uh, we're on WV Overtime on Twitter. 
let me know how you feel about this situation. Do you think this should continue? Do you think that um, this is something that's never going to go away in West Virginia? Or is there a way we can stop it? And if so, how can we stop it? So let me know all your questions, comments, problems, protests, and agreements. And I'll see you guys real soon.